Dunbar, who was looking to start his own art gallery. It seemed obvious that we should combine forces. And John brought in an old friend of his, Peter Asher, who provided the initial money for the venture. Peter was one half of Peter and Gordon, a successful duo who had recently had a number one hit in both the USA and the UK. Together we formed a company called Miles, Asher and Dunbar Limited, MAD, and began to look for premises that would be suitable for both an art gallery and a bookshop. Indica Books and Gallery, yes it was named after Cannabis Indica, was started on August 1965, on £2,000, of which Peter Asher put in £1,400, and I put in £600 worth of books. I had an arrangement with Tony Godwin to buy stock from him at a trade discount, and to be able to order books from publishers using his account. He had sold better books and approved very much of the idea of Indica, and wanted to help as much as he could. In the meantime, I began to assemble the stock for the bookshop in the basement music room of Peter's parents' house, at 57 Wimpole Street. Peter still lived at home then, as did his sister, the actress Jane Asher. Peter had an L-shaped room on the top floor, and in the smaller room next door, once a maid's room, directly above Jane's bedroom, lived Jane's boyfriend, Paul McCartney. He had been there for several years, ever since the Beatles moved to London from Liverpool in 1963. Paul took an immediate interest in the bookstock, and sometimes, late at night, when he got in from a club or a gig, he would browse through the books and leave me a note to say which ones he had taken. He was Indica's first customer. John Dunbar found premises next to the Scotch and St. James's, a club in Mason's Yard, off Duke Street, St. James's. This was the appropriate area for the gallery, because it was where the few modern art galleries that London had were located, one or two streets either side of Piccadilly. Paul McCartney yet again took an active role, preparing the walls, filling in holes with polymer filling, painting walls and helping put up the shelves. We had to whitewash the windows to stop crowds gathering to watch. Peter reported that Paul had been behaving in a suspicious way and would not let anyone into his room. We joked that he must have a groupie holed up in there. Then, on the day the bookshop opened, Paul pulled up on his Aston Martin and heaved a large, heavy package out from the back seat. He had designed and had printed wrapping paper for the shop, 5,000 sheets of it. He had hand-lettered the name and address of the shop in black and white and composed them in the shape of a Union Jack, very 60s. It was a terrific gift, and he was correct in thinking that we had not thought to provide ourselves with wrapping paper, so it was very welcome. In addition to the books I assembled in the music room, I also lent Paul magazines and books, big table magazines from Chicago, Evergreen Review from New York, New Departures from London, Paris Review and the like, all featuring beat generation or avant-garde work by Samuel Beckett, John Cage, Jack Kerouac, Cornelius Cardieu, William Burroughs, Jean Genet and their circle. He enjoyed At Swim, Two Birds by Flann O'Brien and Ubu Wa by Alfred Jarry. In those days, it was Paul who was the avant-garde one. While John Lennon stayed at home in the stockbroker belt, Paul and Jane Asher attended premieres and first nights. Jane had been a child actress and knew a large number of film and theatre people. Through Indica Gallery, Paul met artists such as Takis and bought one of his signals, a red and blue light mounted on thin metal wands, person height. Inspired by Paul, John and George also bought one. Unimpressed, Ringo had his chauffeur knock one up in the workshop of his garage. Paul called them Peter and Gordon, 
because the red light was the shorter of the two. Peter had red hair. Typical beetle irreverent humour. Gallery owner Robert Fraser introduced him to a number of his artists, including Peter Blake and Eduardo Paolozzi, and he bought examples of their work. He attended private views of Class Aldenbury and Richard Hamilton, and on one occasion Fraser took Andy Warhol round to Paul's house, and they screened Chelsea Girls for him and a bunch of friends using two projectors. Paul was impressed that Warhol didn't seem to be particularly bothered about getting the two projectors in sync. At my flat, Paul listened to Blue Beat Records, Shenley Duffers, Duck Soup by John Bago, The Charms, Derek and Patsy, Prince Buster and the All-Stars, as well as John Cage's Indeterminacy, a set of texts, some longer than others, but all read aloud by Cage in two minutes. For some he had to read very quickly, others very slowly. One crowd-pleaser, after a few joints, was a two-volume Folkways recording of a ceremony.